Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I stayed with him fifteen days. And other of the apostles I saw none except James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Fourteen years afterwards, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. I took Titus with me. I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation. I didn't want to run in vain, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, there is no man that has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers, sisters and mothers, children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. And he took the twelve aside and began to tell them the things that were going to happen to him saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered into the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him unto the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall spit upon him, and they shall scourge him, and kill him, and after three days he shall rise again. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 34. Well, Dr. Mitchell continues our study in Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 17, and here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends, and how glad I am for another opportunity of talking to you about our wonderful Savior and the marvelous work which he accomplished for men and women at the cross and guaranteed to us in resurrection and exaltation. We're dealing in the first chapter of the book of Galatians with the Apostle Paul, in the, in the revelation of his message, which was from God. It's what we had in our last lesson. In verses 11 and 12, the apostle Paul received this message of the grace of God, the gospel of God, from God himself. He didn't receive it from any, any school or any man. He was not taught 
by man, but it came by the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we mentioned the fact that it pleased God in verses 15 and 16. It pleased God to separate Paul from his mother's womb, called him by his grace for the purpose of revealing his son in him, that he might preach Christ among the Gentiles. And immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I do not want to go over this again except to, uh, to pick up the connection with those of you who are just tuning in with us. The Apostle Paul has a real message concerning the grace of God. And this message had been opposed by legalists who had come up from Jerusalem. Now, before he can defend his message, he must first of all prove his apostleship because the, the authority of his message depends upon him being an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and upon this, he insists, for example, in chapter 1, verse verse, he said, Paul, an apostle, uh, by, by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then you have it in, in verse 11 and 12, he didn't re receive this message from man, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 16, it pleased God to not only separate him and call him, but he revealed his son in him that he might preach him among the Gentiles. And immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So you have here, first of all, in that the revelation of the message which Paul preached was from God. It was of divine origin, came from God, and had nothing at all to do with men as far as receiving it from man, not even from the apostles at Jerusalem. And he was divinely equipped and divinely sent by a sovereign God. And again, I want to suggest to you the gospel which Paul preached, whether it be Romans, Galatians, or whatever it is, it was not patterned after human schemes or human philosophy or human reasonings, and that his message, his gospel, is concerning a person. It's not concerning an institution. It's concerning a person. It's not even concerning certain uh, ceremonies and ordinances that the church may have. The center of his message is concerning a person who came, lived a sinless life, and died and was buried and was raised again from the dead. Now, the second thing about this is that Paul was not only delivered from his sin and not only delivered from this present evil world, as you have in verse 4, but he was also delivered from his religion. You see, when Paul became a Christian, Paul was a sincere blasphemer before that. Now, I quote his own words from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, that Paul was a sincere blasphemer, though he said he did it ignorantly. And then he went on to say, it's a faithful saying unworthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, let me get this into your heart. Remember that these Judaizers had come to Antioch and were trying to bring people under the bondage of the law. In fact, these uh, Galatians were being swept off their feet because of it. Now, Paul says, when I became a Christian, when I met the risen Savior, I was not only delivered from my sins, I was not only delivered from this present evil world, but I was delivered from my religion. Don't forget that the Apostle Paul knew what religion was. 
You remember in Philippians chapter 3, in verses 6 to 9, he said, he said, I, if anybody else has a right to glory in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I, can, I even know my own tribe. And concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I was a Pharisee. Concerning the righteousness in the law, I was blameless. And this is from which he was delivered when he accepted the Savior. I say he, Paul wasn't delivered from idolatry. He wasn't delivered from paganism. He was in neither a pagan nor an idolater. He was a very religious man. And when Paul accepted the Savior, he was delivered from Judaism. Now you remember that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was well taught in Judaism. And may I suggest this to you, that God only gave one religion to the world, and that was Judaism. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a life. When a person accepts the Savior, he is brought into definite, eternal, complete union with God in Christ Jesus. It's what Paul is aiming for. It's what Paul declares, that when you and I accept the Savior, we not only are forgiven our sins and given life eternal, the impartation of divine love and the impartation of divine life, but we are united to the Son of God himself. It's an amazing thing, just like Jesus could say in John 14 and in John 17, or the Apostle Paul in the epistle to the, to the Ephesians. You follow through all the, the writings of the New Testament. When you and I accepted the Savior, Tis true we were forgiven. Tis true we have eternal life. Tis true we become a child of God, and so on. But my friend, even more than that, we are brought into an, an eternal, complete union with God himself. This is more than religion. This is the life, the impartation of divine life into the sinner who accepts the Savior. I say that when Paul was delivered from his sin, and this present evil world, he was also delivered from his religion. That's pretty hard to take, isn't it? But let's read on. Go on down to verse 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, and I believe it was when Paul was in, in Arabia, that God gave to him the revelation of the church, the body of Christ, and gave to him the revelation of the wonderful grace of God. Then after three years receiving the revelation from God, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. And other of the apostles I saw none except James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I, I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. You see, again I want to emphasize the message which Paul preached and the revelation which God gave to him concerning the church was not taught him by the apostles came by revelation from God. And he wants these folk in Galatia, as well as Antioch and elsewhere, to remember 
And even today, he wants us to know that Christ is a sufficient Savior and that when you add to what Christ has done, you spoil the gospel. You pervert it. And again, I say, Paul was delivered from his religion. There are a great many religious people today who know not the Savior. There are thousands of church members today, and I'm not judging their heart. My friend, may I say, having dealt with hundreds of people, I know what I'm talking about. And I said very simply that there are thousands today who are church members. They've, been, they've joined the church. They've been baptized. They've gone through the ordinances, etc., etc., and yet they have had absolutely no relationship to the Savior. They're religious without life. And how glad I am to say that when you and I accept the Savior, we're not only delivered from sin and from judgment and from this world and from the powers of hell, but we're delivered from our religion and we're brought into real relationship with the Savior. In other words, I just ask you, putting it this way, ask you a question, is Jesus Christ sufficient for you? Is he really your Savior? Or are you depending upon membership in some organization? Or are you depending upon your good works? Or are you depending upon keeping a day? Or are you depending upon some religious rites? Or are you just depending only, wholly, completely upon Jesus as your Savior? You see, in the Bible, my friend, there are two principles. The principle of faith, the principle of works. They don't mix. If it's by grace, then it's no more of works. If it's of works, it's no more of grace. I'm quoting from the book of Romans, chapter 11. Friend, either you're saved by works or you've got to be saved by grace. You can't mix them. This is the problem today. We mix them. And this is what Paul is contending for in the book of Galatians. These Judaizers were mixing law and grace. And thus they were perverting the gospel of Christ. Please don't do that. Jesus Christ is a perfect Savior. He's a complete Savior. If I'm talking to any today and you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, my friend, I stand before you or come before you as a channel to declare unto you that God has a message, God has a salvation for you that is perfect, that's complete, that's eternal. And he's offering to you as a free gift forgiveness of sins, eternal life, relationship to him, fitness for eternal glory upon the ground of you taking Jesus Christ, his son, and you putting your trust in him to take Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior and as your Lord. No works, no ceremonies. Now, these works and ceremonies may have their place, but not in salvation. When you accept Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, that, that very moment you pass from death to life, that very moment you become a child of the living God, that very moment you are the recipient of a perfect, complete salvation. And I urge you today to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Without works, Christ is a perfect, sufficient Savior. 
And remember again, God gave to the world only one religion, and that's Judaism. But God said, or Paul said, that when he became a Christian, he was delivered from that religion. He received a life. He came into union with the living God. And not only so, but in the last two verses of the first chapter, the Apostle Paul declares that the churches in Judea, uh, they, they glorified God in him. If you take those last two or three verses, in verse 22, he was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. He who persecuted the believer now was preaching the faith to which at one time he was very bitterly opposed. He opposed very, very bitterly salvation by faith. But now he preached this same delivering message which he opposed. By the way, this was true in Paul's defense. If you read the book of Acts, you remember when he stood before the Sanhedrin or when he preached before the multitudes there in Jerusalem, and then when he stood before Felix and before Festus and before King Agrippa in chapter 24, 25, and 26 of Acts, you'll notice he insists upon the fact that God delivered him from that which he hated. He was delivered from his religion and joined to the Savior. And the result was, now they opposed him. And yet Paul says these churches down there in Judea they were the ones who glorified God in me because of the transformation in my life by the gospel of the grace of God. Now, when we come to chapter 2, and in the first 10 verses, you have the apostle Paul again continuing his defense of his apostleship, this one who had been divinely appointed, and the churches testified of the glorification of God in Paul. And now in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, He's approved by the church at Jerusalem. And I might add, if you want to read a passage in connection with this, I would suggest the 15th chapter of Acts. In the 15th chapter of Acts, which gives us some background to this, Paul and Barnabas had come back on their first missionary journey. And when they came down to Jerusalem, there were these Judaizers who sought to try and spy out the liberty Paul had in Christ. And they insisted that these Gentile, Gentile Christians should be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Now, this was the issue at Antioch. And now at Jerusalem, Paul reverts back to Jerusalem to the history of the council there, of how God, in a wonderful way, uh, vindicated him and Barnabas in the message which they had preached to Gentiles. Now, remember what they were trying to do, these Judaizers. They were trying to insist that the Gentile Christians be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And James and Peter and the rest at Jerusalem, these leaders in the church, stood by Paul and Barnabas and declared that the Gentile Christians should not come under circumcision nor under Moses. As you remember, they said, Peter said, eh, do not put these Gentile Christians under the same bondage under that which neither we nor our fathers could bear. And he's talking there about the law of Moses, by the way. 
Now you come down to the, to the first few verses of chapter 2. Allow me to read two or three verses. Fourteen years afterwards, I went up again to Barnab- up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus, who was a Gentile Christian, I took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation. That would be Peter, uh, James the, the just, and John. I didn't want to run in vain, but neither Titus, who was with me being a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, notice this. When we went up with Barnabas to Jerusalem, we took a Gentile Christian with us by the name of Titus. And when we communicated to the heads of the church, the apostles, the message which we were declaring, they did not insist upon the circumcision of Titus. Uh, They didn't insist upon the Gentiles being brought under the Mosaic economy. And you have here in verse 5, we didn't give these fellows subjection not for an hour. We give them no place that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And those who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. That is, those who were leaders in the church at Jerusalem couldn't teach me anything on the gospel. And then I read in verse 7, but just the other way around, just the other way around, instead of them teaching me, says Paul, I had to teach them the gospel of the grace of God. Now you go to Peter's epistle. Peter brings this up in his epistle, speaking of the apostle Paul. Contrary-wise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, that is the gospel of the Gentiles, was committed to me, as the gospel of the Jews was under Peter. For God, who wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the Jews, or the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the the grace given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the Gentiles, and they would go unto the Jews. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I was very forward to do. Now they're reverting back here, I repeat it, to Acts chapter 15, the first great council of the Christian church held in Jerusalem. And the leaders of the church confirmed the message which Paul had brought, the message which Paul had preached to the Gentiles. Now, remember, this is what he's doing. He is defending his apostleship. In chapter 1, he declared his apostleship, his message was from God. He was sent by God, and his message was from God. It came by revelation from God. And the churches in Judea rejoiced in the fact that he who once persecuted the church of Christ now defended the very message which he opposed. And then in chapter 2, 
they didn't insist upon Titus, a Gentile, being circumcised, and then Peter and James and John. And this is James the just, James the brother of, of Jesus. You remember James the, the apostle was beheaded in the book of Acts, uh, chapter, chapter 12, where James, the brother of John, was beheaded, the first, Christ, the first martyr among the apostles. Now, this is James who writes the book of James. So these were the leaders of the church at Jerusalem. These were the ones at the head of the whole thing. James the just and Peter and John. And they shook hands with Paul and they confirmed the message which he had given and confirmed his apostleship. Now this leads me, when you come to verse 11 of chapter 2, to the end of the passage where Paul defends his message. And I wish you could read this because this is a tremendous passage of Scripture. And the argument is so wonderful, it's so precious, and yet, my friend, it's so real and so true. I wish in some way I could get God's people to read their Bibles. I wish you could read this book of Galatians through over and over again. They're just six chapters. It, it would get into your heart. It would get into your mind. It would be a part of your very being that the salvation we have is complete and perfect and eternal because we have a Christ who is absolutely sufficient in his person and work for his people. Now, you read the book. We'll continue our studies in Galatians in our next lesson. The Lord bless you for his name's sake. Jesus made it Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.